Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord Jesus had been invited by a certain Pharisee to a Sabbath meal. While he was there, he healed a man with dropsy after the Pharisees and others present could not answer him if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. After rebuking them for not being able to answer this question with a simple yes, for after all, who present wouldn't have immediately saved their child or even a donkey if it had fallen into a well on the Sabbath, he teaches them about humility, both when being invited and inviting others for meals. He takes what King Solomon had said in the Proverbs about being in the presence of a king, and he extends it to all meals, no matter the host or the guest, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. After this, a fellow guest, apparently impressed by our Lord's teaching, cries out, Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. He is referring, of course, to the image of the great messianic feast which many of the prophets foretold, the feast in God's presence where all of God's saints will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our Lord answers this man with a parable, one that is of critical importance to him, if he wants to be one of those eating bread in the kingdom of God, both now and in eternity. For the man being a Pharisee, one of the pure ones, as it can be translated into English, is one of the religious elite, and probably saw himself as a prime candidate for this feast. After all, it was promised to him in the prophets. And so our Lord begins. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time of the banquet he sent out his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. This parable is first historically grounded and has immediate application for those that heard it from our Lord's mouth at that table. Indeed, it is a parable about what was happening that very night with them, but it also continues now. For the certain man in this parable is none other than God. And since God is the one giving the banquet, we can know that it is a great and rich banquet indeed. It is a banquet like the one described in Proverbs, held by divine wisdom, who cries, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. It is a great banquet, just as God is great and good, a banquet which he has and provides will provide the greatest thing of all, the gospel. And more than that, Jesus Christ himself. For what is the gospel other than Christ Jesus who gave his life for us, who carried our sins in his body and took them with him to the cross and died and rose again to make satisfaction for us. In this feast, this banquet, he feeds and nourishes the attendees through the preaching of Christ, through baptism, and through the most holy and precious sacrament of our Lord's body and blood, so that all are there and are present, are satisfied, and there is no need or want, or lack. And to this great banquet furnished by God's mercy, many were invited. This is, of course, God's covenant people of old, the descendants of Jacob, that is Israel. This invitation was given first to Abraham, 
And it was passed on down through his descendants who spoke of the promise and by the prophets who sent out with this invitation. Now, finally, in the fullness of time, everything was ready. It was time for the long-awaited banquet, the long-promised feast to begin. And so God sent out his servant to say, Come, for everything is now ready. And while it might seem strange to us, this custom in Jesus' day was to send out the invitation before a banquet or feast to prepare the guests and then later to send out a messenger to tell them, well, the feast that I told you about, now it is happening. Now everything is prepared. Come and eat. And this is what the man hosting the banquet in the parable does. He sends out his servant to announce that everything is ready. We see this beginning in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the beginning of the banquet. The long-promised time when God would crush the head of the serpent, when he would send the promised son who would give Abraham more descendants than the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore, and when he would cause a star to rise up out of Jacob who would put all things under his feet. This is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and so the feast begins with his ministry and the preaching of the gospel. The call, come, for everything is now ready, is nothing more than our Lord's preaching after his baptism and temptation, saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so he came to his own, for salvation is from the Jews. He came to his people of old, those who through the old covenant had been invited to the feast. But what was the result? They are all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Despite being invited and warned ahead of time, and all told of the wonders of the feast, those who were invited previously all made excuses for why they couldn't come. I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Is it actually necessary to go out and see the land that he had already bought right now? Must he go and see it? When the feast was prepared and for him out of the Lord's kindness and goodness is now ready, it is a weak excuse but so are all those which are presented here. This such a one says, I cannot possibly go, maybe another time. I'm flattered, but seeing this field is more important than what you have provided for me. Besides, it would be literally impossible for me to put it off. Another says, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. While the first had yet even to leave, the second was intercepted by the servant on his way to examine the oxen that he had already purchased and already owned and were already on his farm, which he had managers overseeing in his stead. Again, there is no reason not to examine the oxen on another day. They are already his. But he thinks thus, I am already on my way, already on the road. Why should I change my plans? I can always go to another feast. While the first two asked leave to be excused, the last simply says, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. He will not go. 
seeing it an impossibility to leave the joys of a new marriage in order to go to the feast. But again, it is not as if this prevented him. The feast was great and grand. He could have brought his wife with him so that she too could eat of the marvelous food provided from the master of the house's grace. But instead, like all others, he refused. All of these excuses to us may seem genuine, especially in our day and age where many things happen to take up our time. But they're all simply an attempt to hide their disdain for the feast. If they really wanted to go to the feast, they could have. There was nothing that actually prevented them from going. Not looking at the land, not going to see cattle, not having a spouse. The simple truth was they didn't want to go. They simply thought these things were more important than the feast. The prestige that comes with acquiring more land, the ability to make even more money through the purchase of 10 more oxen, which is not an inexpensive purchase by any means, the pleasures that the world offers those who over those offered in the feast. These same excuses are given today. Too many have followed the examples of those first invitees, followed the example of the Jewish rulers, the important priests, the elders, the Sadducees, scribes, and Pharisees. These are the ones who should have been the most ready, the most eager to attend the feast, and yet, at the call of the servant of the Lord, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. They do not repent. They do not believe but rather they disdain the servant of the Lord, and so the Lord who sent him. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, Jesus said. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Those who were invited did not want to go. But the master of the feast will not have what he prepared go to waste, and so while those who were of the upper class, with enough money for farms and livestock and throwing a lavish wedding, were rejecting him, he would instead send his servant to the poor and the outcasts of the city. In the context of our parable, the city is referring to the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. While the rulers and the religious authorities did not heed the hall, did not heed the call, rather, there were those who received the good news of our Lord's salvation with joy, those whom the Pharisees saw as impure, with whom they refused table fellowship. These are the ones which our Lord went to. Indeed, who else could the servant of this parable be but our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who himself called on the people to come to the feast which was now ready, to believe the gospel of salvation? who went to the poor, the sick, the oppressed, and the marginalized, those whom the Pharisees and others had cast out, who were essentially homeless within their own religion. These are the ones who our Lord went to to preach the good news, he the friend of tax collectors and sinners. With these in his own ministry he fellowships with, eats with, travels with, and teaches. These he calls to repentance and preaches to them the good news of the gospel, and so invites them to the feast of salvation, which he provides by his own sacrifice. And these descriptions are not only of their material conditions, for 
believe it or not, not all the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame believed. And there were even some of the Pharisees that did come to faith. No, it was their spiritual condition that it describes as well. They sought no earthly pleasures, or if they did in the past, they realized that they brought them no true fulfillment. They did not consider themselves to be righteous by their own merits, but instead despaired of themselves, knowing that they were indeed quite spiritually poor, blind, lame, and even dead. It is to these, whether they were poor and destitute, or rich like Zacchaeus and Nicodemus, whom our Lord invited to the feast, and who also responded to the gospel in faith, and so were admitted to the feast of salvation. Our parable continues. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has already been done. There is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. The master was not content to have a half-empty feast. He prepared lavishly and did not want it to go to waste. If those invited would not come, and all the poor in the city had already been brought in, then he would send his servant outside the city to gather those who may have not even heard of him. This is why he says, compel the people to come in. For those outside of the city would not have known of the feast. They would have had great doubts, unlike the city poor who already knew that it was coming, having heard the buzz from the days leading up to it. And so they would have needed to be compelled, would have needed to be assured that this wasn't a trap, not a trick, and that there was a rich and great feast waiting for them, even though they had never heard of the master. And if the city is Israel, those outside the city are the Gentiles. And you may be thinking, well, pastor, if the servant is Christ, how can that be true? He never went to the Gentiles. He even told the Canaanite woman, I come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And indeed, you would be right to think that. Our Lord did not go to the Gentiles in his earthly ministry. But just as the feast began with his earthly ministry, it has not ended. Neither has his work ended. As St. Luke writes in the prologue to the Acts of the Apostles, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Brothers and sisters, while our Lord has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he still continues to do and teach in his church now. The same Lord Jesus who called the people to himself in his earthly ministry, who called the apostles, still calls through those whom he calls now through his church to the office of the ministry. He works through the preaching of his word to call and invite, through absolution, through baptism, and through the holy sacrament of the altar. He works through the consolation of the brethren, through all of his church. For the church is his, is his body, and he is the head, and it is his life in the church, and it is his work which he does throughout all of the church's members to invite and more and more to the feast, to call more and more through the preaching of the gospel. Yes, we of Gentile background, as St. Paul says in our epistle, were once far off, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the spirit of the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Yes, he has called you by the gospel. He has compelled you, urging you to trust that this is for you too. And it is for you, brothers and sisters. It is for both Jew and Gentile, for those who are poor, for those who do not trust in their own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. The Lord's ministry has continued until now in this time of grace. He continues to work through the means he has instituted. He has baptized you. He has brought you to this feast. He has called you by the Holy Spirit to believe the gospel, to believe the good news, and has given you faith so that you may taste this feast. He gives you his own body and blood to eat and to drink so that you may be strengthened in the faith which believes this promise and receive the forgiveness of sins. This feast began some 2,000 years ago, but it continues now. It will continue until our God's house is filled and all the elect have been gathered from all the nations into his house. Our Lord's parable ends, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This warning was firstly to those Pharisees at the dinner with Jesus. He was inviting them as the servant to this banquet, but by their words and their actions, they made excuses. This also continues to apply to all those who are approached by the servant, whether in the city or whether outside of its walls, whether near or far off. All who despise and reject the invitation of the gracious master will find no room in his house when it is filled. Instead, they will find that there is no longer any savior for them at all in the time when grace is over and the feast of glory begins. Then the terrible sentence, they shall not taste of my banquet, will be carried out. Those who preferred their land, their cattle, their family, and pleasures to the feast of the Lord who said, I cannot... I must not, I am busy, I want not, will see what they have really chosen, will see that the Lord, what the Lord sees through their rejection and despising of him. Their feast will be of weeping and gnashing of teeth, and what they chose cannot satisfy them or give them comfort. But brothers and sisters, for those of you and us who are troubled by our sins, by our weaknesses, by our frailty, by our blindness and lameness, who despise of ourselves and our ability and instead trust in Christ, we shall find by God's grace that the feast continues forevermore, filled with men and women from all tribes and races, all peoples and languages, gathered with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feet of God to eat and drink. And we will be then eternally satisfied by the Lord, receiving grace for wrath, righteousness for sin, eternal life for eternal death. May God grant that we always be true to him, remain steadfast in the faith, and persevere so that we may remain in the true faith until our end, and so by his mercy and grace taste of eternal life in the feast which is to come. Amen.
And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.